G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Welcome to On The Rock, God's unchanging word for changing times with Dr. Camille Majdali, Director of Teach All Nations, Melbourne, Australia. Dr. Camille lived and studied in the Middle East, served as a principal of a leading Bible college and now travels the world teaching God's word. He has an extraordinary knowledge of the Bible and a dynamic ability to make God's truth come alive in a real, practical way. This episode of On The Rock will give you keys to survive and succeed in the days ahead by hearing and doing the words of Jesus. In a day where open-heartedness and passion are in fashion, it's time to take a new look at an old book. And in today's program, we're going to continue and conclude our introduction of 2 Corinthians. Our series is entitled, Heartfelt and Inspired, Understanding 2 Corinthians, a verse-by-verse commentary, part of the larger Understanding the Bible series. We are looking at an amazing epistle. It is the Apostle Paul, up close and personal. Now, learning about this man, of course, seemingly is not as important as learning about Jesus, because Jesus is the Savior. Paul is one of his great messengers. But learning about Paul is learning about Jesus, because in essence, when Paul came to Messiah, the Christ, the old Paul died. The feisty, legalistic, pharisaical bully that taunted and tormented the early church until he repented on the Damascus Road and was transformed from the Pharisee. And he, and by the way, he always remained a Pharisee, but he now had a new calling, and that was to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. And when that happened, a new Paul came to the fore. And what we see in the new Paul, of course, is the work of Christ in him, the grace of God working harder in him to extend God's kingdom than the flesh and the devil working in the old Paul trying to destroy futilely, I might add, the church of the living God. When we look at Paul up close and personal, we will see the power of Christ at work. When we see Paul suffering, we will also see Paul comforted by God, that as Paul overcomes, we overcome too. I like to say that effective ministry comes from an overflow, the things of God flowing into us and then flowing out of us unto the world. That really is what ministry is about. We come to God, we get filled with his spirit, his grace, his love, his good things. Out of the overflow of these things touches the lives of many, many other people. 2 Corinthians, Paul is going to explain what it means to be an apostle, what it means to suffer, but at the same time, never forget, if suffering happens, and it does happen because we're in a very stinky, fallen, unjust world. A world that is being transitioned into a new heaven and a new earth. But in the meantime, while we're here, God uses the challenges of a fallen world to build us up in the most holy faith. It's like going to the gym and picking up a heavy barbell. 
Yes, the heavy barbell will be difficult. You might strain and struggle, but it's in that straining and struggle that strength and muscle is built up. It doesn't happen just by doing easy weights. It comes by the hard weights that somehow God has a redemptive side to suffering, always promising his presence, his power, his comfort, his peace to his children. It always happens simultaneously. You're going to learn that in 2 Corinthians. And you're going to learn also that somehow God's grace is more than enough no matter what you face in life. As long as you have the grace, you have God. And as long as you have God, you have hope, you have deliverance, you have a solution, you have a future. This is the glory of the gospel of Christ. We see this so powerfully in 2 Corinthians. In this segment, we are going to continue and conclude our introduction of this great epistle. And then, of course, following that, we will begin a verse-by-verse commentary. So let's do a quick review of what we have learned thus far. We know that this epistle is called in the Greek, the original language of the New Testament, pros Corinthios beta. According to the Corinthians, the second epistle, beta, happens to be the second letter of the Greek alphabet. We know the author is the Apostle Paul. Of that seems to be no dispute. The theme of this epistle is not correction like it was in the first epistle or going from carnal to spiritual in 1 Corinthians. This one is called vindication by Paul of his apostleship and also of the gospel of Christ. And our portrait of Jesus is found in the very first verses of 2 Corinthians. The portrait of Jesus Christ in this epistle is that he is the God of all comfort. And frankly, friends, when we understand that, we never have to feel forsaken or forlorn ever, ever again, forever and ever. He is with us always, not only to the end of the age, but unto the age that has no end. We learn that the key verses include chapter 3, verses 4 to 6, chapter 4, verses 5 to 6, and chapter 5, verses 17 to 19. And let me just preach to you the first clause of selected verses, chapter 3, verses 4 to 6. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our confidence or competence and sufficiency comes from God. He has made us competent or sufficient as ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. That's 2 Corinthians 3, verses 4 to 6. Remember, friends, and we're going to, of course, explore this when we get to chapter 3. We're not competent in the godly or eternal things. But we have competence or sufficiency because of Jesus Christ, and that Christ has made us, all of us who are believers, able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Holy Spirit, because the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. That's, of course, the great distinction between a religious life and a Spirit-filled Christian life, because a religious life lives according to to the dark black letter of the law. Whereas spirit-filled living, while it respects the law, it quickens the word of God. It goes to the core of what God is saying in his word. And it helps us not through our feeble, failing flesh 
to keep God's high standards. We keep God's standards because Christ lives in us and we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Because if you try to please God in your flesh, you will fail guarantee. But if you seek to please God by living a life of self-denial, cross-bearing, and being filled with the Holy Spirit, then you will definitely please God. And you will do so without much effort on your own part. It is the grace of God, the Spirit of God, the Word of God working in you that'll bring the God-pleasing, fruitful life. And then we outline this epistle basically in two parts. I can divide it into three. But let's say Chapters 1 to 9 is Paul is vindicating himself, or his ministry, I should say, explaining what he's doing and the ministry of reconciliation. Chapters 8 and 9 have to do with giving a very complete account on this important aspect of Christian worship. And then chapters 10 to 13, Paul is vindicating his apostleship, why he does what he does. In other words, this epistle instead of correcting the carnal Corinthian church, is now comforting and empowering the Christian church at Corinth. Because, of course, most of the Corinthians, after receiving the epistle of 1 Corinthians, they repented of their carnality, and Paul, therefore, wants to follow them up. And he even offers words of mercy to the fallen brother who had committed incest in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. There is mercy, believe me. When people repent, there's all the mercy you can imagine. When people are proud, stubborn, and impenitent, then judgment is what will follow. Really, the choice is ours. And after all this, after giving comfort, Paul contrasts the glory of the new covenant and as ministers of the gospel with the old covenant and the ministers thereof, like Moses and the prophets. It does have the practical side about Christian giving, as well as the price Paul paid to be an apostle. Now, let's remember the setting of 2 Corinthians. The setting is, Paul was at Ephesus, writing 1 Corinthians. He was thinking that Timothy would visit Corinth, and then return to him. Then Timothy comes from Corinth, tells about how there was opposition, Paul then makes his brief visit to Corinth, which is uh, not mentioned in the book of Acts. And then after returning to Ephesus, he then reluctantly but needfully writes his epistle, 1 Corinthians. Titus carries this epistle of 1 Corinthians to Corinth from Ephesus. Paul was very keen to know how the Corinthian church had responded So he goes to Macedonia, to the place called, or actually to Troas in, in Turkey, near Macedonia, to hear the report. He is greatly relieved because he sees that most of the Corinthians did repent, though a few of them did not. So in response, in Macedonia, Paul writes 2 Corinthians, sends it with Titus and somebody else, another brother, and then he makes a third visit to Corinth, where in Corinth, on this third visit, he writes the book of Romans. So basically, again, what's this book about? Paul is defending or vindicating his apostolic ministry as well as authority. As I tried to explain in the previous lesson, when criticism comes because you're serving God. Now, criticism can come because we make mistakes, and it's actually good criticism, constructive criticism. In the constructive criticism, it can come from those that care about us, It can also come from those that don't care about us. But sometimes even 
the, the narky, nasty critics can be useful because somehow they are having grains of truth in what they say. Some of it is exaggerated, some of it may be lies, but some of it may be true. Whatever may be true, we need to heed and correct. Nobody that serves God avoids criticism. Jesus had it, we all have it. Some of it is justified, much of it is not. But as I shared, most of the time, we don't respond to critics. I've seen people responding to critics, and they look very bad in the process. I remember one person doing a camp, a Christian camp. Some people questioned the teaching of this person, but they didn't question the person directly. They asked others that shared it with the person, and I'm telling you, they came out swinging like a a street fighter. Oh, you criticize me? Come and be a man and tell me to my face. I'm sorry, that kind of pugnacious response doesn't do the minister any good, the ministry any good, the kingdom of God any good. Another guy also having been criticized, and rightly so, because they took like one hour to preach for the offering, an offering that was for them. Of course, they're going to be criticized. And it's understandable. Oh, they didn't like that at all. Apparently, they felt it was perfectly in order to preach one hour for the offering that was going to be taken for their ministry, and then another hour for for their actual sermon. Well, I mean, we only have so many hours in our day, don't we? All I can say is this. Much of the time, it's best to say little or nothing and get on with your life. There will come the rare occasion where a response to the critics is warranted. And maturity will tell you when that will be. Even when it happens, you don't strike out. You don't lose your cool. You definitely don't lose control. Just answer quickly, quietly, and confidently, and lovingly. And then get on with the ministry. The key chapters, in many ways, are in the middle of the epistle of 2 Corinthians. Chapters 8 and 9, which give us the principles and basically the full extent of why we give and how God blesses us for giving. I'm going to quote this more than once. It's a wonderful phrase I learned years ago, that our Christian giving is not a debt that we owe. It is a seed that we sow. So there we go. Now remember that 2 Corinthians is a book that reveals the heart of the great apostle, one of the most powerful figures in human history, without question, just as the epistle to the Romans reveals the mind of the Apostle Paul. He's very personal, anecdotal, speaks of persecutions and suffering that you don't hear mentioned even in the detailed account of his ministry in the book of Acts. It's, it's incredible. It's where we see Paul up close and personal, wearing his heart on his sleeves. It shows us how very human he is, and that's important. It's important that we never forget the humanity of our Christian leaders. We put them on pedestals, we worship them like Greek gods and goddesses, not unlike what people do with Hollywood icons, and we need to be careful to honor and respect the servant of God for sure, especially double honor when they minister in the word and doctrine. But they are humans like everyone else and all of us in God's service. No matter how long we've been in it or how mature we may be, we are still a work in progress. Give us some grace as we give grace to others. Let's quickly look at 2 Corinthians from a doctrinal point of view. There is the contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. It's a rather remarkable thing. You'd almost think Paul hated the Old Covenant because he makes the new one look so good. He didn't hate it. He affirmed it, but the new is better. He talks about 
a proper perspective of Christian suffering. And friends, let me just say that we do need to deal with the subject of suffering. Suffering is not terminal. Sure, it's not a picnic, but it's redemptive. And remember, if God's with you, you feel grace, you feel his presence, you feel a release of anointing, you actually end up being in a better place. And as the psalmist learned in his suffering, calls out to God and God puts him in a larger place. He's promoted. He's put in an arena where his gifts can be exercised. Before honor is humility, says Proverbs. And this is part of what suffering does. If you don't have any theology of suffering, then when it happens, you could be knocked off course. We need to have a balanced approach to Christian living. And not that we invite suffering, not that we pray for it, not that we revel in it, although the book of James says, count it all joy, amazingly. So we have the suffering, we have contributions, insights to the resurrection and the judgment of Christians. There's the judgment of the unchurched or the judgment of those outside the church, but there is a judgment of Christians. It's actually an interesting and important topic. We learn about the ministry of reconciliation, how we need to be separate from the world. We learn about giving, and we learn about how Satan works, and we are not ignorant of his devices. So finally, in this lesson, number three of Heartfelt and Inspired, Understanding 2 Corinthians. Remember that there's a simple survey and outline. Paul talks about what it's like to be an apostle to a church that had been hit by false teaching, schisms, immorality. He defends himself, his conduct, and all the rest. And it's about the only time he does so at any extent throughout the whole of the New Testament. He explains his ministry, why he does what he does. In chapters 1 to 7, chapters 8 and 9, he talks about giving liberally and how the Macedonians did exactly that to the people in Jerusalem. And he urges the Corinthians to be likewise generous. And then in chapters 10 and through 13, which is the end of the epistle, he says that even though he may be meek, it doesn't in any way dilute his authority. He comes with power and also his integrity his accomplishments, his suffering, his vision, all of this is explained. And he says that he's going to come a third time and he won't spare if people don't do the right thing. So this is an introduction to 2 Corinthians. And before I pray, just remember, you can visit us anytime at our website, teachallnations.org.au. And remember to sign up for the free monthly Issachar teaching e-letter which gives you current events in the light of God's Word, as well as Bible and Christian living. We're also on Facebook at Teach All Nations Education. Thank you for liking our page. Friends, let's pray. Father, we thank you for 2 Corinthians. It is heartfelt. It is inspired. It is your Word. We're going to learn about Paul. We're going to learn about him up close and personal, and we're going to basically respect him as a minister you sent, and it will teach us to respect others who have paid the price to be your servants. We thank you for the opportunity to learn your word and help us be wise people that put it into practice that we may be on the rock through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Today's On The Rock was brought to you by Teach All Nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, to download podcasts, view our online store, attend special events, sign up for our teaching newsletter, make a donation to support this ministry, or to invite Dr. Camille to speak, log on to www.tan.org.au or write to us at Post Office Box 493, Mount Waverley 3149. 
Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.